Hi, Jackie. Hey, Ramona. Not everybody can see you right now, but I can see that you just came home with a beautiful new haircut. Why, thank you. It is the first time in about eight or nine months since I've had a cut in color, and it took a team <laughs> to get rid of gray, but <laughs> well, I, I love it. Like 20 years younger. <laughs> yeah, man, I can't wait till I can find some time to go. Well, I wish I could um, give you that time as a birthday gift. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, today was like a great uh, podcast recording because um, we were talking to Sue Goldstein and um, we learned a lot about doctors in general <laughs> and the history around their knowledge gaps in menopause. Yeah, this honestly was one of my favorite conversations because it is a bone of contention. Um, I know a lot of our audience, they've reached out to us on our social handles and they have chimed in to say that there's so much frustration about the gap of knowledge and feeling dismissed by you know your doctor. But we were so lucky to get Dr. Susan Goldstein today to talk to us about why that might be and a little behind the scenes on, you know, where those gaps are getting closed, how they're getting closed, and providing a lot of hope for our listeners. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Dr. Goldstein is the cat's meow of menopause. She is a Toronto-based family physician and GP psychotherapist, but she has a super special interest in women's health and menopause. She is a certified menopause practitioner and an elected board member of the Canadian Menopause Society. So I say she has more than a small interest in the topic. <laughs> yes. And what's wonderful, and she'll walk us through today, is that she's the author of a menopause assessment tool that's going to be rolled out to general practitioners, I believe, and even to us as consumers to go online to help assess our symptoms and discover whether or not we are experiencing menopause. Yeah. So have a listen to Dr. Sue Goldstein. Many of us struggle determining whether or not we're experiencing menopausal symptoms and more and more through this podcast and talking to our amazing listeners, we're finding women don't feel their doctors are well-informed or even know how to help them. So we're so excited, Dr. Goldstein, that you're joining us today uh, to navigate some of these obstacles and talk about what you're doing to help women. So welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to chat with you tonight. <laughs> now, we don't want to start by being like negative against our doctors. I mean, I, Ramona and I both have great doctors that we've worked with in the past, but there is definitely a gap um, in knowledge and it's led to some healthcare issues for both of us. So I think it's an important topic to to address and to hear from someone like you and your experience and what you've seen and the gaps you've seen um, for women to understand that it's sort of normal for your GP not to really have this wide breadth of knowledge. And when should you seek, you know, uh, a second opinion or, you know, an expert or an advisor or someone else to just take your health care further when you're in this stage? Well, it's always disheartening to hear that people are not getting optimal care. And, and I hear both of you have had some challenges. And I believe some of your listeners have had challenges. And, and also, you know, that's really unfortunate. Um, unfortunately, the menopause world, I, 
I'm going to call it as I see it. It's a little bit of a mess right now. And there are knowledge gaps. Um, There are actually a number of factors um, that I think are contributing to why sometimes your doctors aren't giving you the care that you think you should be getting and or in fact you should be getting. I don't know if it would be helpful for your listeners to maybe get a bit of background around what's happened in the menopause world in the last 20 years and Mm -hmm. why those gaps exist. But would that be a good place to start? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So I think it would really be helpful to just start by just talking about the game changer in the game. Because menopause treatment was in the purvey of family doctors and primary care providers. We gave out hormone therapy. It was part of our curriculum. People that were practicing in the 70s, the 80s, 60s, we were treating menopause. And I don't think we were seeing, for the most part, these kinds of gaps. And then there was the study. In the menopause world, it's a (laughs) women's health initiative, or we call it the women's health study. It was a massive 50,000 women RCT, randomized controlled trial in the U.S. that was stopped after five years in one arm of the study, seven in the other, in the early 2000s, so 2002. Very interesting study, great data, highly mishandled, and, you know, metaphorically, it took the women's mature health boat and just flipped it over like a sailboat that just keels over. And I think we've spent the last almost 20 years trying to write the boat again. The problem with the study was there was evidence that hormone therapy is actually good for your heart. And the theory was it protects your heart. So they took 25,000 women between the ages of 50 and 80 pulled them all together and gave them hormones and then said, let's see what happens. And in five years, they said, oops, we're seeing a signal for increase of breast cancer. And these women are having heart attacks. So instead of hormones helping your heart, it's actually harming your heart. Stop the study, right? Bells ring. And the problem is that when things get into the media, they're not always reported in context and big problems can occur. So The media hits the media, hormones kill women, gives them heart attacks, causes breast cancer, bad for you, bad, 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 right? And it hits Time Magazine and the papers. And of course, we doctors don't only get our information from journals, but we also get it from the papers. But even in the journals, one of the problems was that the data was disseminated and printed probably prematurely, where they took the whole cohort, this big group of women, and said, well, whatever happens to the 50-year-old and what happens to the 80-year-old is we're going to put them all together and draw conclusions. Big, big statistical error, big design error in that study. But that's what was published. So it said, yes, in fact, there was an increase of breast cancer. There were more heart attacks. It took many years for them to do a deep dive into the data and realize that if they just divided the groups up and said, what happened to the women in their 50s? Was it the same as women in their 60s? And was that the same as women in their 70s? And they realized that, oh, no, no. These are three very different cohorts. If you take a woman in her 50s within 10 years of menopause or final menstrual period, and you give her hormones, there still is a risk for breast. And I don't, we can talk about that later if you want. It's more medical. But in fact, there was no increase of heart attacks. There looked like there might've been cardio protection. There was decreased in the number of heart deaths or cardiovascular deaths in that group. So something's not right. Mm -hmm. 
In the 60-year-olds, it was about neutral. And of course, in the 70-year-olds in the study, they had heart attacks because giving hormones to a woman who's 50 and newly menopausal has a completely different effect on her blood vessels than it does on a 70-year-old who's already been past menopause and her vessels have started to harden, right? Think mm-hmm. about heart disease. When we were postmenopausal, we'd become like men and we got heart attacks just like them. Mm-hmm. So big study flaw. But the problem with that is now all the doctors and primary care doctors are like, oh my God, this is a bad thing to do. We've been giving poison to our patients metaphorically. As a primary care doctor, I'm not treating menopause anymore. This is dangerous. So I don't know what to do. I can't give hormones. I'm just not going to treat it. Or I'll send you off to some kind of specialist and let them figure out. Mm-hmm. So for much of the 2000, 2002 to 2010 plus, primary care doctors weren't providing menopausal care. And wow. It, it's such a, such a disservice to women. And mm-hmm. it, trying to turn that boat around and, and get the right knowledge out and uh, address the myths that are in the medical community has just been a massive challenge. So, mm-hmm. Well, it's funny you say that because, um, you know, you think when you st- sort of hit this period of like reproductive health, like when you're having a baby or whatever, you tend to, um, you tend to want a female doctor, right? Especially like for your pap smear and everything. But um, I, I have a friend who uh, went to her doctor, who her doctor is in her 60s, early 60s, and has been practicing for 32 years. She's an OB-GYN. And um, she told her there's no such thing as perimenopause. It's just a myth. And she just kept fluffing it off. Wow. So you can see, like, like, I think we're a different generation from our parents. I think my parents' generation believed everything your doctor told you. You never questioned anything. And our generation is like, well... You know, with new technology and innovation, people think differently about different approaches. And yeah, you should question it. You should get a second opinion. Um, and I, th- I think, you know, that's the fear when you get a doctor saying to you, there's no such thing as what you're going through. Some people might believe that. And that leads to a lot of problems with their health care, but also problems with their health. Again, so sorry to hear a story like that. Um, unfortunate. I'm going to give you a bit of context for that. And it's not an excuse, but I think maybe we'll help that person if they're listening, understand some of the other challenges that have led to the knowledge gaps. And I've been thinking about this in anticipation of us chatting today. And I kind of think there's there's a bunch of different groups of types of doctors. So doctors that were trained, because I'm out many decades now, when we were in medical school, the training in medical school was a disease-based model. And thank goodness that has changed. Um, curriculum has evolved. And when we're training learners now, it's much more patient-centered. But that sort of medical model in 1970s, 60s, 80s, very medicalized. And so in medical school, we were taught that menopause is not a disease. And that is actually true. Mm-hmm. Menopause is not a disease. Mm-hmm. It is a natural state Um, But it doesn't mean that there aren't symptoms and that symptoms shouldn't be treated. And I'm not sure the word perimenopause even existed back then, depending on where that doctor may have or may not have trained. Mm -hmm. So people, some of the doctors from that generation who've not evolved, 
Even today, clients think of menopause as not a disease state and therefore doesn't need to be treated. And I think probably one or two of your listeners have run across a physician like that. Kind of not mm-hmm. their fault because it's kind of what they were taught. Yeah. Uh, ideally, we all keep up to date, but you can't possibly, you know, primary care, there's so many things to learn. Right. We, we tend to pick the things we're interested in. So However, I will say that what surprises me about some doctors who I completely agree with you, like obviously the care has evolved and, and some doctors also need to re-educate themselves, right? If they're still practicing. Um, but what surprises me is women practitioners, some of which are old enough that are probably experiencing perimenopause and menopausal symptoms, um, not really digging in deeper into what's going on with, with their patients in this area, because as we've discovered through many a podcast and in our own personal experiences, menopause, some people don't have many symptoms or have any serious medical issues and some really, really do. And so it's, it scares me sometimes to think about how there's people out there who could be suffering or could be in a real, in a really, bad position in terms of their health and not know that it could potentially be tied to menopause. So that's what's scary as a patient for me. (laughs) Hey, that makes perfect sense. Um, Interesting assumptions there, right? We assume Mm -hmm. because it's a female doctor that she's (laughs) going to be more sensitive to female. Yeah, um, I would think so. Not necessarily. I can tell you that. You know, I know a lot of OB-GYNs. I can tell you some of the male OB-GYNs by far are much more female-centric than female physicians. So it's, we really need to look at the person and not their gender. And Mm -hmm. um, I get why we would assume you're a woman, I'm a woman. But yeah. Maybe that woman blew through menopause with no symptoms. Yeah, you're right. Twenty like percent yeah. of women just yeah. they don't have a hot flash or it was a little blip or it was a nothing. And so, you know, as doctors, we try not to actually bring our own personal mm-hmm. experience into what we do because then we lose our perspective. And yeah, we, true. Right. So yeah. just you know, for for you guys and for your listeners. I think there's a danger in assuming because you have a female doctor, they're automatically going to be more mm-hmm. sensitive to female issues or mm-hmm. that if they've had a personal experience, it may make them more knowledgeable or sensitive about something. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. I, Good point. Ramona just stereotyped. Gotcha. I did. I totally stereotype, <laughs> but it's more so even just the, the gap in knowledge and how, I mean, this is why, why we're doing what we're doing and so many others are standing on their soapbox and saying, you know, we matter. And this is a a time in our lives where some of us do really need help and support. And we need our health practitioners to be a little bit more educated around the subject. Right. And I think Um, there's a continuum there. So if I go back to what I started kind of pulling out is that I think you've got different kinds of doctors. We've got Mm -hmm. some that think menopause is not a condition. It's not a disease. Therefore, we're not supposed to treat it. That's what they were told. Then we have doctors who say, no, no, I know that it needs to be addressed. And I used to give hormones. And then that women's health study came out and was like, no, no, this is dangerous. Hormones are bad. And 
primary care doctors are not supposed to treat that. And if they've not evolved from that step, then you've got a group that are stuck there. Yeah. Then you've got a group who say, okay, I've read some of the newer stuff. I realize, okay, they said hormones are bad, don't do it anymore. And now there's some more research saying, well, maybe that's not quite true, but I don't know what to do because maybe I didn't have training on how to teach, um, how to manage menopause because of where I was relative in my learning relative to when the study was. Mm-hmm. Then you've got and those three groups are going to be problematic. Then you've got the fourth group who says, okay, I know there was something with women's health, but hormones are okay. Menopause is a, is a condition. It's not a disease. We treat conditions. People are symptomatic. Um, I need to learn what to do because again, maybe I haven't had training because we had that gap there where primary care doctors weren't doing it. And therefore they weren't exemplifying to learners, medical students and residents as they went through their Mm -hmm. own training, the, the learners weren't getting exposure to menopausal treatment because their teachers weren't doing it in those days. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, for sure. Have, right. And then you have the most evolved a group. And I'm going to tell you that I actually think that is the majority. Um, I know a lot of doctors in the city. I lecture across the country. Um, I am so happy when I see that if there's a lecture about menopausal care, they put it in the biggest room because there absolutely isn't the doctors, many of them identify there are knowledge gaps and we all agree there are knowledge gaps. The study just did something terrible to women's health that it's going to take years to undo those myths. Um, But we have a large group of doctors. If there's a lecture, you know, a thousand people in a room, 300 people in a room, they come, you know, we did a a menopause 101 here for doctors in Toronto, although it was web costs across the country. And they said, that was great. We want it again. We want to come in here a second time. So I do think the majority of physicians out there are aware that menopause is real, perimenopause, the terminology, to be fair, it's confusing for everybody. Yeah, we agree. Menopause, postmenopause, premenopause, perimenopause, menopausal transition. Yeah, we agree. I think it just confuses people. Yeah. Can Um, I ask in your your menopause 101, how... um, like when you were teaching these doctors, um, which is amazing, how basic was the knowledge you were imparting in the 101? Like, do they have like a very sort of top line knowledge that yes, every woman's different and this can be an issue and this can, or does it go back even like more basic than that? Well, when we do a 101 talk and when I speak to primary care doctors, I always do a version of a 101 because I don't like to assume, you know, they say that when you assume, but uh, <laughs> we'll just move on from that. So I like to start from the basics. I do think that particularly our younger, our younger physicians and those that are more recently graduated, they know about the basics. I, I'm involved in curriculum. I know what we're teaching. Um, the medical students in their first two years, what they're learning in their clerkship, which is their third or fourth year. They know the basics. They know that there are a cornucopia of symptoms, but like everything else, they're kind of taught the high marks. So they know, yeah, hot flashes and vaginal dryness and sexual concerns and maybe some bladder stuff. Um, they sometimes miss some of the subtleties, like joint pain. You know, people, your average family doctor might not know that for some cohorts, rather than getting hot flashes, 
you get a lot of joint pains and it's menopause or they, right. Or they may not automatically put together that the mood changes or Mm -hmm. the sleep changes, especially if there aren't hot flashes at the same time, that those still could be related to um, hormonal changes around uh, menopause. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, everything that we're learning, and this is a learning journey for us, is, you know, we think, hey, we're going to run out of podcast topics. We've covered everything. But then we find out that, um, you know, the lack of estrogen and the changes in our body affects our, like our, not periodontal, but our gum health, our hair follicles, like we're drying up. <laughs> yes. So there's sadly true. Yes. So I feel like, you know, and, and not everyone like Ramona's not going to get maybe the dryness and the gum problem and this and this, and I might not get some of the things Ramona has, but, you know, I think one of the big common myths is that, um, I had a woman say to me the other day, Oh, you're so lucky. I, I just can't wait to get rid of my period. I'm like, Oh yeah. So I'm five years postmenopausal, which is why I had gone on recently to get my um, blood work done to see if I was a candidate for HRT, because you have to do your risk assessment. And I was telling my doctor, like, I am five years post and I'm now starting to get night sweats. I mean, I thought I was holier than thou than any other woman in menopause because I didn't get night sweats. I got everything else, but not those. And now I'm getting them. And so when women say, oh, I just can't wait to be done my period. And like, it's not smooth sailing, sister. Like this stuff can come and haunt you, bite you in the butt. Like you don't know when it's coming to get you. So here comes the question. Is that something that we should be educating? Is that the job of the doctor to educate a patient of what they need to see next? Or is that the job of the, some kind of public education or the yes. or? Other or, or things like these great podcasts, or I, there's this menopause Canadian Menopause Foundation that's being formed that's going to do some advocacy work. The problem with the medical model again is we can't possibly no intervene with any condition at that micro level. Yeah, not not in the like- healthcare system where you know you have 15 minutes to see a patient. And, well, yeah. And, and also, you know, I'm a primary care physician. I have an interest in menopause. So I know the small details of these kinds of conditions, but lipid management, oh, I know a fair amount about that too, but you might give me another topic that I know and I'm not going to know it at such a granular level. It's, it's impossible. We would never sleep. <laughs> no, well, you're, you're right, because I think and all like and everything changes in the industry. And I'm sure, you know, testing changes and guidelines change. So how are you supposed to then stay on top of that? But I sort of see like my GP or my OB guy as the air traffic controller of my body. Like if there is a problem, she's going to like send me to Mount Sinai to go see this doctor who's a menopause expert or go to see a, a lipid doctor. Yep. If my cholesterol is an issue, like I don't expect her at all to be the one that, you know, I didn't marry a man who knows absolutely everything. I mean, he married a woman who did, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but I expect, but I do, what I do think I would like to see more of is having our doctors be able to um, to say, okay, like direct you to where to go, um, you know, for different issues so that we can at least explore our options instead of just sort of dismissing it and saying it is what it is. 
So when I hear that, I get so disturbed. You know, word dismissed should never be in a physician's vocabulary, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I sort of went through when you get dismissed, what might be some of the possible explanations, but it doesn't make it right and it doesn't make it okay. I think most care providers, really, we try to know things as best as we can and we yeah. try to provide the best possible care. But I think there are things like experience and knowledge and training and also levels of interest. Not everybody is you know, terribly yeah. interested in women's health, be they male or female, right? They're mm -hmm. just not. They really like to get into all that cardiovascular stuff, which maybe some of us aren't quite as interested in. Yeah. Them. But so, you know, you bring up a good point. I think the way medicine has changed because, you know, not to pity party us doctors, but I will for a minute. The challenges in primary care to know so much about so many things now, mm -hmm, it's for sure. just overwhelming. We have learners that say, I don't want to be primary care doctor. I don't want to be family. It's too hard. Let me go be the specialist. It's easier. And boy, is that a flip. <laughs> Well, no, yeah, because that's where you're expected to be a, a master of all trades and a jack of none. Like that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, what does make sense is that okay. the oh. things I think that we can expect and that your listeners can expect from a physician is that they listen, that they listen actively, that they validate your concerns and that they work with you to find the solutions. And I think the biggest change in in really medical education and the medical model is that we're doctors aren't well, some of us are gods but i'm not but you know once about a time they were apparently i'm too young for that but we're not gods anymore we've never really were we can't possibly know everything but everything but our job is to listen to patients to do our best at making diagnosis to know what we know to know what we don't know and to refer on or seek support or help when we don't know and yeah. the best physicians are those that know their limitations and if you know that you don't know a lot about menopause that's okay as long as you know that you don't and then you especially in larger communities where we have you know so many specialists and other care providers seek help seek whether you do refer to specialists you we can do things called e-consults now where we can go online and, and send a, some information to specialists saying hey there's these symptoms i'm not quite sure what they are what should i do next yeah Absolutely. so i mean we could talk about this forever back and forth but i do want to fast forward to present day so that our listeners can feel a little bit more encouraged by what's happening now behind the scenes that maybe we don't know about that's that's trying to educate doctors, trying to help patients with what they're going through right now with menopause. Are you able to tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, and the news is good. So, you know, again, for those that have had bad experiences, the good news is it hasn't been all of you. Many women are getting excellent care across the country. And there are multi-pronged attempts and um, things in place, lots of moving parts to this menopause world. So we'll start in curriculum. We're making efforts within the educational world to change curriculum so that what the pre-clerk students, so the first two years of medical of school, what they learn about women's health and menopause, 
what they learn at the clerkship level and what they learn. So four years of medical school, and then you go to be a resident, which is practical training, and what they learn about women's health at this, what we call post-grad or uh, residency level. The Canadian Menopause Society, we're, we're in the midst of a study where we're actually doing what's called an environmental scan, and we're looking at the curriculums in all of the medical schools and residency programs across Canada. So we're going to try and figure out what's being taught so wow. we can find out where the gaps are okay. so we can correct them. And we've got a group of, you know, menopause practitioners and people in the menopause world across Canada, some who are really international leaders, who are invested in making sure, starting with the ground up, that the curriculum gets turned around and that our trainees are learning what they need to learn. So uh, Dr. Wendy Wolfman, who is amazing, and she's a menopause uh, specialist here in Toronto, runs the menopause clinic as a chair in uh, mature women's care. Um, she and I have worked on a curriculum at UT Med School. So we've gone in and looked at what they're being taught and we're involved in the content they're learning. And similarly across the country, it's happening. And when we get our, the results of our environmental scan back, it will be happening on a greater level. So you want to start by educating the learners before they get out into practice. Mm -hmm. Then you want to educate our practicing physicians. So there's a multi-pronged educational effort going on right now. There are all kinds of lectures, be they um, through uh, academic meetings like Family Medicine Forum, or the kinds of things that I speak at, or through pharmaceutical um, supported talks, webinars, there are things like MD briefcase, there's a module. So if a doctor wants to learn about menopause, but doesn't want to go to a lecture and I'm involved with that, they can go online get study credits and learn. Yeah. So there, there's tons of content for someone who wants to learn, be it by webinar, by journal article, um, or lecture, big conference, small conference, especially now when we're doing so much on Zoom and webinar, accessibility for our um physician learners is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, right? I don't have to travel to Winnipeg to give a talk. I can do it in Toronto. And if you're in Winnipeg, you can hear it. Mm -hmm. So lots of efforts going on there. Then there are guidelines. So the thing that informs physician care, particularly primary care, but really in all specialties, are guidelines. And guidelines come from when a group of experts looks at all the evidence and distills it down and comes up with some conclusions, which provides a guidance for care. There have in response to that women's health study that was so bad, over the last five to seven years, all over the world, there have been major guidelines published to try and dispel the myths because it's those myths, those beliefs mm -hmm. that hormones are bad, they cause this, they cause that, that creates the obstacle to care and the obstacle sometimes to even learning about it. So we now have Canadian guidelines Canadian Menopause Society and the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists have gotten together. Massive seven chapters of guidelines were published in the fall through to December 2021. There were a lot of talks disseminating it. It's in print, it's available online, and they are Canadian. And so this is a great resource. It's like a resource book or resource information for physicians. So we've got that. Um, what else? Um, and then I'm creating a website. So yes. we, we've got the Canadian Menopause Society. 
they on their website and they are um, sigmamenopause.com. We've got the Society of Obstetrician Gynecologists have a website called menopause and you, that's the letter u.ca. And on both, and they're Canadian, on both those websites, there is information to help physicians. And there also is consumer sites with consumer support information and resources. On the Canadian Menopause website, there's a great, um, I think it's called the Sigma Handbook. Um, and it's written for physicians. But I think a patient who really would just want to understand the nuts and bolts, I think the language is understandable enough. You don't need a medical degree to wave through it. But there, there are a lot of other things on the consumer sides of both websites that are informative and help support patients, which allows them to advocate for themselves. Right. Awesome. Um, and then, as I was saying, so I wrote an article that was published in Canadian Family Physician in 2017, and I created a menopause assessment tool called the MQ6, Menopause Quick 6. I like to talk quick. I'm working really hard not to right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm succeeding or not. We'll see. But um, the idea was if we can make things simple, quick, easy to apply in day-to-day -day care, then maybe we can get physicians asking more questions to patients about their midlife health concerns and start the conversation. Because there's, you know, we could have a whole podcast on the obstacles around providing care to patients and getting the, that conversation started. For sure. So, so, and the tools that exist, you know, out there right now, they're much more designed for use in research. This is six questions, takes a couple of minutes to ask it, written in lay language. Um, the tool can be used by physicians when they, you know, your patients come for a checkup or well, women visit, whatever. And, you know, I've been talking about it for years, like, hey, you got a patient, just ask them these six questions. It doesn't take a lot of time. And it right. really organizes and makes things simple. And these are the questions that all of the guidelines around the world, everyone agrees, these are the questions you should be asking your women. And the idea of the website is that we're going to have both a physician side and a patient side to the mqsex.ca, and that the patients can actually fill in the questionnaire with the six questions themselves, which may help them figure out a little bit about what's going on with their symptoms and absolutely menopausal. And, a bit of a guide they can you know print it out as a pdf take it to the doctor and say hey i filled out this questionnaire online and i think i'm having some menopausal issues so can you ask us the six questions absolutely so the <laughs> first question is when was your last period you don't have to answer it <laughs> okay long time ago your, your, your listeners need to know but <laughs> the idea is we want to know when your last menstrual period was because we want to know remember all those terms are you premenopausal postmenopausal perimenopausal yeah. and right. you know i want to just share this pearl with you the reason we need to ask that is because you know if there's a take-home for your listeners some women they hit menopause no period for 12 months and then they get a bleed out of the blue Mm -hmm. And they don't think to mention it to their doctor. But yeah. if you get a bleed and you're after a year from the last period, that's that's a warning signal. You need to see your family doctor. That's abnormal uterine bleeding in a postmenopausal patient, which could be an early signal for endometrial cancer or uterine cancer. Wow. Good to know. Very good. Today, to know. You know, there's a pearl if nothing else. I, I right. love the pearls. So yeah. 
So that's the first question. Okay. And that lets the doctor know where you are in terms of your developmental stage, in terms of your uh, reproductive health. Mm-hmm. Second question is, are you having hot flashes? Because women may not tell you, they may not, as a physician, they might tell you because they think you're too busy. They think you're not interested. They may have had these bad experiences like the ones you're telling me about. We want to know, do you have hot flashes? And if so, how bad they are and whether you want them treated. Because women may have them. It's good for us to know about them as, as care providers. It doesn't necessarily mean that they want them treated. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to, the third question and the fourth question have to do with what's called the genitourinary syndrome of menopause, which is mm-hmm. effects on the vagina and the bladder and the pelvic organs as estrogen drops. So um, we've asked about the periods, we've asked about hot flashes, and you have, we asked about the vagina. Have you had any vaginal dryness, any vaginal pain, or sexual concerns? Really mm-hmm. important to ask about sex. We're really afraid, I'm going to tell you as physicians to ask, because then we don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> How about not just, sorry lack- about your luck? <laughs> <laughs> not from lack of information, but because there's really been very little to offer women. And so... In medicine, there's don't we know it, (laughs) right? And there's kind of center and rule that you know, if you can't do anything to help the problem, don't take up the time to ask the question. But we should ask the question, and there are, you know, the whole world is evolving, not only in terms Mm -hmm. of the education we talked about to address gaps, but also in terms of products. There's all kinds of new products coming on the market, absolutely. And these concerns, there are things out there now, so at least you know, when you ask the question. I have some things to offer, which is great. Yeah. The fourth question is, are you having any problems with your bladder? You know, any incontinence? Um, I always tease that. I really think that women think it's, and sadly, maybe some of those older physicians think that it's a rite of passage. You have a baby. Yeah. Oh, joy, be your pants for the rest of your life. Like, no. Yes. All right. It happens to 50% of women. Women are embarrassed to bring it up. Yeah. Either they think it's a rite of passage or they just think the doctor doesn't want to know about it. And that's one of the reasons I created this tool is if the doctor asks, it's going to open the conversation mm-hmm. and important medical experiences are going to get addressed that affect quality of life. And that's important, even if this is not a disease. So right. we asked about bladder. And yeah. then the, the, and, um, the fifth question and sixth question are, you know, how's your mood and how's your sleep? Because we know that menopause and perimenopause is associated with sleep disturbance. Um, not always because of hot flashes. You can have changes in sleep architecture just due to hormonal changes. And we know perimenopause in particular, right? That time while you're still cycling, but maybe periods are erratic and maybe you're flashing. We know high risk time for anxiety, irritability, double risk of incidence of depression, even in women that were never depressed before. That's so right. yeah. again, patients might not be connecting the dot. The doctor may not actually be connecting the dots, but when they ask the questionnaire in that order, it helps them. So it helps open a conversation. It helps them connect the dots. It helps the patient think about things that either they didn't think they should mention or didn't think it was okay to mention or didn't consider. And then, you know, in the order, in the article, the, the tool is followed by treatment algorithm the treatment mm-hmm. algorithm is, is for physicians. And again, the idea is it will go on to the physician side of the website. And it's a guide because if we want doctors to treat, we want to make the knowledge available to them to easily, easy to follow, 
condensed in a, some kind of organized fashion, perhaps more organized than I'm speaking today, but it's really good in the algorithm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks and, great in a PDF. <laughs> and, and that will allow them to say, okay, I've asked these questions. Yeah, you've got some menopausal concerns. Now, what are my options to treat? Mm, I don't remember. I can look at up to date, which is what a lot of physicians look at. Um, or, hey, I can just follow this algorithm, push a bunch of buttons, and it's going to say, okay, here's what is recommended for this patient. Yeah. The idea being, if it's accessible, easy to follow, it will be utilized. If it's utilized, then we have application. And, then- and is it live yet? Dr. Goldstein? Sadly not. I, the, the website is live, um, okay. but all that's on it right now is a link to the article, okay. uh, which has the tool on it. Um, I'm, I'm working in conjunction with Canadian Menopause Society. So this mm-hmm. is you know, uh, um, an absolutely legitimate website, not uh, something else on the internet. Um, yeah. And I'm hoping within three months to have the software done. We're just working on the logic stuff now, and then they'll have to kind of do the IT stuff and mm-hmm. the fun stuff. Yeah. Fun stuff. <laughs> um, can I ask you a question? Um, this is amazing, and and I'm really happy that we get to share this with our listeners. Um, it it's just kind of this is a, just a curiosity I have. What is driving these initiative initiatives all of a sudden? Like. Menopause has been around forever. And, you know, as you said, doctors haven't been trained specifically in this, but all of a sudden there seems to be a great focus, which is amazing. And I'm not complaining, but where is it coming from? Is it coming from more and more questions um, that doctors are receiving from patients or like what is making, what is carving the path for all of this innovation and information sharing that we haven't seen before? You know, that's an excellent question. Um, I'm not sure I can give you my end of one answer, which is my opinion. Perhaps as our population gets older, perhaps as our physicians get older, Mm -hmm. there is more interest in the needs of our older patients. Mm -hmm. Geriatric care, sadly, you know, you're not geriatric and menopause, but once you're there, then you're getting there. Um, there is a North American Menopause Society, which has existed for a long time, and they have been strong American advocates mm-hmm. for menopause management and education. Um, and then about 10 or 15 years ago, the Canadians kind of said, hey, we should have a Canadian Menopause Society too. Mm-hmm. And we do have these practitioners who have an interest in it. We have the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists who always have had an interest as well. And so we've got, I think, more physicians, both primary care people like me and specialists, who really are seeing the gaps in care and are academically minded. And Mm -hmm. and we see this in all kinds of, it's not a disease state, but conditions. Um, I don't really think it's coming from consumers. I actually think it's coming from the physicians who treat mature women Mm-hmm. Kind of care and see the gaps and really want to address it. And out of that came, you know, Canadian Menopause Society. And for example, so Dr. Wolfman, she's quite a pioneer because she started a fellowship in menopausal care. So 15, 20 years ago, you know, there's a few gynecologists around the country that kind of treated mature women. But she has been training for the last probably 10 years, every year, one or two, 
specialists, so they're obstetrician gynecologists who do an extra year with her to learn just about menopausal care. And they now are all across the country. And so we've got more menopause centers, like we've got one in Toronto, there was one in Ottawa, I know there was people in Winnipeg, there's some out in NBC. So there's more doctors with interest and knowledge. And I think knowledge begets knowledge, interest begets interest. Um, so we're sort of permeating through, but I, and that may be a long way to answer, but I, I do think. No, but it, I, I feel like that does make a lot of sense where that's yeah. coming from. I mean, you know, if you're seeing as a, as a doctor, more and more women with atrophied uteruses and painful sex and, you know, um, more causes of like uh, you said, well, like ovarian and uterine cancer. And you mentioned um, endometriosis. Uh, and your cancer. cancer. Um, of course, you're going to start thinking, hey, what's the common denominator with all these women? Well, and, and I think also, if I might throw in, a, I think our perception of women has changed. I know you ladies might have a certain um, opinion on that. But, <laughs> you know, as we have more women physicians, we'll go back to that. As women are changed you know if we look anthropologically at women's place in society mm-hmm. that has changed and that absolutely so has menopausal woman today is not the lady chasing her husband with her frying pan who's home making dinner every night necessarily right that's right menopausal woman today is in the boardroom mm-hmm. trying to give a lecture and so maybe she's gonna go and, and can't remember her. what she's gonna say Right. <laughs> and, and we're all living older. And I always tease when I talk that, you know, 80 is the new 60 which, and 60 is the new 40. So I think the Oh, I like that. The demand to have a better quality of life at 60. Like we, if we all look at our grandmas and, and I'm older than you ladies, and I'm glad it's a podcast. They can't see my grandma. <laughs> um, I think of my grandma, she seemed like such an old lady. Yeah. Yeah. Right. For and, sure. And I'm, you know, at an age now where I guess she would have been this age when I was very, very, very small. Right. But yeah. I feel way younger. And I think with every generation, women are younger and more dynamic. They're better advocates for themselves. They have different demands on their on their time. They're yeah. more empowered. And, and I think that that somehow plays into this. I'm just not. Mm-hmm. Right I actually, that's a really good point. Cause like we've even said before, if you look at the golden girls, they are the same age in the show as yeah. JLo and Jennifer Aniston. And look Beautiful. at the difference. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Like, exactly. Look look like we all want to look like JLo. Or- yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. we all want to look like JLo or Jennifer. I'll take either of them. So yes, I think, you know, a six-year-old today is not the same woman. And I think she's better about advocating for her own care. And I think as care providers, we perceive women differently just because women's roles in the world are a bit different. Absolutely. And that probably plays into it somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, you know, I feel very hopeful after speaking with you today because uh, there's so many people, uh, practitioners out there, specifically like yourself, um, Dr. Wolfman, um, all of the other women who are out there, you know, on their soapboxes and trying to get more information out to people like us. So, I, you know, even with the MQ6, like it, 
it makes me feel really inspired that that this tool is going to be out there and that it not only it might actually impact some women who don't even know that they're experiencing perimenopausal symptoms and it'll be a good time for them to evaluate how they can optimize their lifestyle or how they can get ahead of these physiological changes that might impact their future selves. So I thank you so much for coming on today and walking us through like where it all started and, and how we're actually, you know, making some leaps and bounds in this field and hopefully be able to help some women in the future. Well, that's my goal. So uh, really, it's been my pleasure. Uh, thank thank you. you so much for having me on tonight. Well, we hope you'll join us again because you are a wealth of information and inspirations. So we'd love to stay in touch and, and hear new updates from your side of the menopause world. Yeah, be my pleasure. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you so much, Dr. Goldstein. Jackie, did you know that pelvic health conditions are common but not normal? I did not know that. I didn't know that. And I bet you a lot of women don't know that. Issues like urinary leakage, always needing to run to the washroom, constipation, (laughs) pain with intimacy, prolapse, and any type of pelvic low back pain can be addressed and treated and should not be ignored. You've literally ticked off every pain point for me. (laughs) (laughs) I think with a lot of women our age, and it's never too late to have your pelvic floor assessed and learn the right techniques and strategies to resolve your symptoms. Um, You know, I didn't even know prior to our visit to Mississauga Pelvic Health that pelvic floor physio I knew it existed, you had talked about it, but I didn't, I never took it into consideration for some of the issues I was having. And quite frankly, I was really afraid to go because I do have a lot of pain. And the last thing I want is anybody going near me down there, but it turned out to be quite an insightful experience. It was, we um, were greeted with the co-founders, Sabrina and Rabia of the Mississauga Pelvic Health Center, a dedicated physiotherapy and wellness center with the mission to help women, men, and children understand, manage, and treat their pelvic health conditions. With over 10 years of experience, they deliver holistic, individualized, and evidence-centered care to optimize their patients' recoveries. Their team of physiotherapists and massage therapists are passionate about pelvic health and related conditions, and they use their expert knowledge and manual therapy skills to help their clients realize their wellness goals. You know, while we were there, you you could really tell their passion and their experience really shone through. Um, They gave us a great tour. They explained how everything worked. They, They assessed us and really put our minds at ease, I think our minds and other things at ease. And quite honestly, like the change that I felt just after one visit was pretty incredible. And I'm going to be including this in my own health and wellness plan from now on. Yeah, it was really great. So if you're interested in not peeing your pants anymore, (laughs) or anything else for that matter, anything below the belt, (laughs) you can visit www.missasagapelvichealth.com. 